Oh. Okay, we'll talk about the title first. First of all, I'm only going to put those up there so you know where, where all the stuff is. But is the, the title is my intro, which I don't have right here. The title is the chief rabbi. You know who that is, right? Who's the chief rabbi? Rabbi Yeshua. He's our chief rabbi. And capital A&D, part two. Oh, what, what is with my catchy title? The chief rabbi and part two. We're going to show you a, a, one of many, methods of rabbinic teaching in Yeshua's times, because it has a part two. <clears throat> is that first text uh, Mark 5, maybe? 4? Ah, Mark 4. All right, great. Well, the intro to, to uh, <laughs> that, why the title says what it says, is that one of the ways that rabbis taught... Um, that's okay. Thank you. Wow, cool. Do you have any glasses? <laughs> Good. You guys are great. Uh, Yeshua taught the way that was the custom to teach in his time. All right? So his school, he had a school. But he had the most unlikely people in that school. He didn't have all these scholars. He had fishermen, farmers, even a tax collector. All right? And, but, but that was his school. And they, they, nobody remembers the other schools, by the way. The head, the head school at the temple was the school of Gamaliel. We remember him and the Apostle Paul in references in the book of Acts. Gamaliel's school was the last degree you got before qualifying to sit on the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court. That's the school Paul was in, all right? But not Peter and James and John. They were in a different school, all right? However, they changed the world, that school, Literally, in the book of Acts, when, uh, and by the way, the book of Acts is, is our manual on missions, world missions, and it's about planting congregations. And as they went forth and fulfilled the Great Commission, by the way, when was the Great Commission uh, fulfilled? Oh, it hasn't been, oh, man, we should be reading the book of Acts and doing the, the book of Acts. As they went, they came to Thessalonica. Y'all love First and Second Thessalonians? Great little letters. But they had a little town meeting. And at that town meeting, there was a problem. There was a crisis. These men who have turned the world upside down are coming to our town. What are we to do? What a great reputation. These people, when they show up, turn the world up. The world, not just the community, turn the world upside down. That school made a difference. Why? Because of who the rabbi was. The chief rabbi, he's our chief rabbi. We need to do what he says. We need to know what he said and do what he said. Uh, But one thing that bothers me, and I'll tell you what stresses me, okay? We're getting there. What bothers me is people say, oh, I'm 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 a messianic believer, but haven't a clue what he taught. How can you do what he taught if you don't know what he taught? You need to be students of the word and know what he taught. And then do what he taught. And looking around us today, you're going to be very unpopular. Because we go against the grain. <laughs> We're going against the grain big time. Because the lines are being drawn very clearly on, on values. These are the values he taught. And he said, and by the way, when you buy into this, you're going to be persecuted. And here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Well... <clears throat> So, the, the rabbis of Yeshua's time had a method of teaching where they would do a lesson. One lesson, but in two parts. They would do part one. And part one is the setup. 
And you think there's a conclusion there. It's a little conclusion. But you go, well, but, you know, okay. more. And then time would pass. And in two weeks, I think I'm back in a couple of weeks, I'm going to show you a huge one of those in, in the Gospels. Huge. Time passes. And so they think, well, I guess that was a little lesson. But it's a big lesson. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, part two comes in. Where you have the same thing that happens, but you go to a, the conclusion. And what happens is this. Is that you get facts and information. And in those facts and information... In part two, it leads you to only one possible conclusion. Not door number one, door number two, or door number three. How many of you are old enough to know what I just said? What, somebody laughed. Door, door number one, where do I get that? Let's make a deal, Monty Hall. Who said that over here? Who's willing to admit it? You remember Monty? Oh, you're pointing at them. Ah, I see. Do you know? that I was on Let's Make a Deal? <laughs> I was. Okay, now, right here I'm facing strike two. What did I wear? You see, you have to know how to... You have to be ridiculous to get on. I got on, and did I pick the right door? And I looked very ridiculous, and I picked the wrong door. That's true, I was on... It was when it was black and white. That goes back a ways, right? So, let's discuss at least one, maybe two, and we'll see how far we get. I'm not sure what time I'm, I'm supposed to end. There was a day. By the way, the northern part of the Sea of Galilee is Yeshua's classroom. Almost all of his teachings and miracles took place there. He loved that place. It's a beautiful... I, I lived there a year. It's a beautiful, beautiful area. And one day, Yeshua said to his disciples, We're all getting in the boat and we're going to the other side. Now, that's, the other side is a figure of speech, meaning they change provinces. They were in the kingdom of the Golan. They're going into the kingdom of the Galilee. Philip was head of the kingdom of the Golan. Herod Antipas was head of the kingdom of the Galilee. Then you go further south, you have Judea. So, but in other words, you don't have to go... The, the width of the lake at that point is eight miles across. You could go four miles, and still, that's going to the other side. You're, you're changing uh, provinces. So wherever that was, they were going to get in the boat and go there. Now, it's not very far. The, the widest part is eight miles. Eight miles. They had a nice sailboat. We, you see the, at, at the Galilee, um, uh, at the boat, at North Minnesota, you see what those boats look like. Okay, they comfortably fit uh, 13, 14, 15 people. And it's a sailboat. And I'll say, why didn't they walk? Would you rather walk or take the yacht? Yeah, I'll come with you. Take the, I'm, I'm Navy chaplain. Take the yacht. Of course. You relax. You can do some teaching, shouting, some praying. Okay? So, he puts them in the boat. And he's in the boat with them. And they go across. And guess what happens? There's a storm. Now, we're, we're looking at, at two calmings of the storm. Because this is a, one of those examples where they have a part one and a part two. And the big lesson is in the part two. In the part one, it says, they were in the midst of this storm and the waves were you know, filling the boat and the boat's about to sink. And Yeshua was really worried, wasn't he? Are you reading ahead of me there? Yeshua, they said Yeshua was in the stern asleep on a pillow. Doesn't look like he's stressed to me. Uh, he was asleep on a pillow. Now, um, I have, being a Navy chaplain, I've had experience on a ship. 
and the ships I was on was they were much larger than that. In fact, the last one was 650 feet long, and I don't want to go any smaller than that. But, but, I I learned quickly that the ship may be doing all this kind of stuff, and the waves. I got some pictures that are incredible. But as long as the captain is okay, everything's okay. If the captain gets worried, time to get worried. It's like when you're flying. If you're bouncing around, okay, watch the flight attendants. If they get worried, you better start praying, okay? You know what I mean? It's just like that, all right? It's just like that. I have stories for another day. I obviously lived through them. Here we are. So he's asleep on a pillow. Here's what they do, the unthinkable. Think about this. Can you imagine? Hey, John, wake him up. Wake him up. I mean, these guys are in a state of panic. They're in panic. Wake him up. Now, that's, don't do that. All right? If she was sleeping, let, let, him, let him sleep. And then what they do is they make an accusation. They wake him up. And they say, don't you care that we're all going to die? Think about that statement. He had chosen them for a mission. I mean, they haven't even, they've only kind of started their training. Don't you care? Oh, don't you care? Ooh, not good. Now, this is, when people panic, they say stuff they want to reel back. Guess what? You can't reel them back. Watch what you say. We're all going to die. Don't you care? You should. Think of the storm now. Big storm. What, what does he do? He does, they never, never would have thought. What does he do? He talks to the wind, and he talks to the waves. He, t- he talks to the wind, and he talks to the waves. What did he say? I'm out of time almost. I'm not sure what, when, I, when I end. He said, Shalom. He said, Shalom. Where am I? Yeah, hush. It's Shalom. <laughs> okay, what version is that? He said, Peace. He said, Shalom. He spoke to the wind and to the waves. He said, Be still. And what happens? It says there was a great, we're supposed to say there's a great calm. Oh, it became perfectly calm. The terminology of there was a great calm. Some of you sailors, some of you have been on smaller sailboats around the world and so on. What's the, what is that nautical term? A great calm. What is that? Anybody, water skiers here? It's when there's not a ripple on the water. Not, it's glass, it's glass, perfectly smooth glass. That's what happened with a word. That's the power Yeshua has. With a word, he takes this storm. They're all going to die. They were panicking. We're all going to die. You don't even care. He goes, peace. He says, shalom, glass. If I could take him to water ski camp, wouldn't that be good? And then, then what does he say? He looks at him. See, he spoke to the wind, and he spoke to the waves. Then he speaks to them. And he, he said, how is it that you have no faith? Why are you afraid? Well, let me tell you why we're afraid. We're, we're fishermen. We are on this lake every day. We know danger when we see it. We're all going to die. We're, we're sinking. Excuse me. I'm with you. Remember me? Do I look panicky? I was asleep. And I said, but well... Well, that's why we were afraid. Is that a good reason? Uh, no. In fact, what, what, in answer to his question, he says, why are you fearful? Why, did, why are you afraid? How is it you have no faith? And the answer was, 
They were smart enough not to answer. Because there is no good answer on this one. If Yeshua says that to you, I was with you. I was in the boat. <laughs> Why are you afraid if I'm with you? And you don't have any faith. Why don't you have any faith? If Yeshua asked you that, there's not a good answer. Not a good answer. And then Yeshua went back to bed on a pillow. Now, what kind of a boat is this? What kind of a boat? A sailboat. How much wind do we have now? It's perfectly calm. Perfectly calm. I, it's a sailboat. It's not going to go anywhere. I can imagine that Peter is saying to John, oh, excuse me, John, why don't you wake him up again? <laughs> Tell him a little wind would be better. I think that's a part of the lesson. You want calm? I'll give you calm. So how did they get to the other side? Row. <laughs> yes. I'm learning the lesson. Okay, I'm learning the lesson. Sometimes we have to learn the lesson by rowing the boat. Well, that was part one. That was part one. But before we get to part two, he went back to bed and the disciples asked a question. That at the first half of the Gospels, they keep asking this question. And then they get the answer. The question is, you know, when you think of this calm, they're sitting there probably figuring, well, the sails aren't going to work. What are we going to do now? And maybe Andrew or somebody said, who is he? And what we have is that they said, who is he that even the wind and the waves obey him? When he speaks, nature obeys him. Who is that? Good question. Now, when you're sharing your faith, when you're witnessing, that's where you want to go. Don't go to how many animals were on the ark. Don't go, okay. okay. Go to who is Yeshua. Go there. Who, who is he? Because the answer to that question determines your eternal destiny, not how many animals were on the ark. So go there. You'd be surprised at the answers you get. So, part two. Time passes, and it's time to go to the other side again. But this time Yeshua does it different. I think we're in Matthew 14, maybe? Yeah, Matthew. Okay, good. He says to them, you guys get in the boat. I'm going to wait here, and I'm going to meet you on the other side. Think of that math. How's that going to work? They, they didn't think about it. So they're out in the middle of the lake in a storm. Happens a second time. Second time. Both times, listen carefully, Yeshua sent his disciples into the midst of a storm. Not to bypass the storm. He sent them to the middle of it. Sometimes it's the will of God that he sends you into the midst of a storm. We're thinking, what if I don't deserve this? Maybe you were right exactly where you're supposed to be. And just maybe there's a lesson to be learned out there. Well, teach somebody else. I don't want to do that. I want to be in the sink. No. Sometimes we have to learn the lesson by going into the storm. And what we have, the, as the narration goes... Uh, the same thing, the boat was filling up, it's about to sink, they're panicky, they're, you know. And, and then, oh, by the way, what is Yeshua doing when they're out there? It, it says he prayed. He went up on the mountain by himself alone to pray. Have you ever noticed how many times Yeshua gets alone by himself to pray? There, no one in the Bible prays more than him. If he's our Messiah and he prays more than anyone else, that's our example. That is our perfect example of how to live our life. We are to be people of prayer. All right? Just a side note on that. 
I, and I think he could see them out there, okay? He had better eyes than me. And they're, same thing, they're helpless, the, the boat's going to sink, so he, he's not with them this time. Are you starting to get the point of part two? The first time he was with them, you have nothing to fear when I'm with you. What about when I'm not with you? Ah, that's us, isn't it? He's not physically with us. So, what does he do? It says, and Yeshua came to them walking on the sea. Whoa, who can do that? And <laughs> Yeshua walking on the sea. And they cried out. By the way, the term cried out means these are burly fishermen. They're acting, it's past panic. They're screaming for fear. They're screaming for fear. Because why? They said, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. Now, let me tell you this. What's worse than being out in the middle of the lake all night long and your boat filling up with water and your boat sinking and you're going to drown? What's worse? Being in that situation and seeing a ghost. Right. <laughs> now, it was the tradition back there that just before you died that you would see such a thing. That's why uh, Zacharias and Luke got panicky at the temple when the angel shows up on the white side of the altar of incense. He thought he was going to die because that was tradition. You're not going to die. You have a great message. But because you doubt it, you're not going to be able to talk for about a year or so, okay? Different lesson. So he came walking to them on the sea. And Peter, good old Peter, he's great. He said, Lord, if it's you, who else would be walking on the water? <laughs> if it's you, who? Can you imagine Andrew going, no, Peter, I was going to trouble. Command that I come and walk on the water too. She said, okay, come on. Now, you know, you've heard a jillion stories in this and, and Peter gets in trouble. But he let go. He turned loose on the side of the boat. I, I, I don't know about, I wouldn't even talk. Let go. He started to walk to Yeshua. And he got close. And what, what was his problem? He saw the wind and the waves. Can you see the wind? If it's full of water, you can going up in the air. He saw this immense storm he's in, and it's like, you can't do this. But you can if he tells you to. If it's at his word, you can do this. And I like this next part. It says, beginning to sink. Not, he was almost dead, or just about drowned. Beginning to sink. Yeshua grabs him. And they're like this close. Okay? And Yeshua said, listen to what he said before, what he says now. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You were doing it, Peter. You were doing it. You were trusting me, and it was working. Why did you doubt? They moved from no faith to little faith. Okay? To little faith. And they got into the boat, and the response changed from last time. Last time it was, who is this? This time they worship him. They worship him. They're figuring out who he is. You notice he doesn't say, don't do that? He didn't say, oh, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a man. Don't, don't worship me. Only worship God. He didn't do that. He received their worship. He received their worship. So they learned, I can trust Yeshua when he's with me. If I'm in a storm and he's there with me, it's going to be okay. But that day would come after the ascension that he's not physically with you, he's going to send you forth to fulfill the book of Acts without him personally. But the Holy Spirit is now him dwelling in you. 
So the lesson is, the rest of the story is later, but you can trust in me when I'm not physically with you to do just the very same things. Okay, one more. John 6. There was a little boy. A little boy changed history. We didn't even know his name. He was excited one day because Yeshua was going to be doing some teaching and sharing right around where he lives. And, and he looked out and there's lots of people. So his mom makes him a lunch, sends him off, and she says, be sure you get a good seat. Listen to what he says. He's a rabbi. So uh, there are seven springs just below the Mount of Beatitudes that feed uh, into the Sea of Galilee, the only logical place the feeding of the 5,000 could have taken place. And it's right by Capernaum. Beautiful area, by the way. You need water for 5,000 people. But you know what? It's not 5,000 people. It's 5,000 men, plus women, plus children. It's estimated there were 25,000 people at this event. And uh, um, this little boy has, has his lunch. And so Yeshua realizes, well, you know what? Just like at the Joseph Project, we need to feed these people when they come. We need to bless them with some food. Yeshua brings that up, and the disciples go, there's no way. You know, if they go through this whole thing, it'll take six months' salary. If everybody might have a snack, come on, there's no way. There's no way. 5,000 men. Plus men and children. But Andrew, Andrew, every time uh, Andrew is mentioned, he, he's always called, oh, Simon Peter's little brother. <laughs> and he's in the shadow of Simon Peter. And Andrew, Simon Peter's little brother. Andrew is always doing what he does here, which is a really good thing. He always brings people to Yeshua. He doesn't talk much, but he brings people to Yeshua. You know, one of the best things you can do in your outreach to Jewish people, bring them here. Bring them here. You guys have a fun, so you dance. Jewish people who are not believers are going to love this place. You do what they do in the synagogue, but you had the dance and the music. Your worship team is amazing. Just bring them here. And you know, the, the logic in that is this, that this is an environment where the Holy Spirit is free to do a work in the heart. Just bring them and let him do it. Okay? Don't worry about a thing to say. Just bring them. And then take, take them to lunch. That free lunch thing works. All right? Seriously, we did that for, at the Joseph Project. So Andrew says, Oh, Lord, there's a little boy over here in his lunch. He's got some bread and a couple of fish. But then, like Peter wrote, he doubts. He says, but what is that among so many? 25,000 people, but he was thinking. He should have said, have him sit down. Have him sit down. Well, you, you know the story. These are familiar stories. And uh, he has the disciples come, and they start handing these things out, and it's, they don't stop. They keep handing out the food, and they, they keep handing it out. 25,000 people were fed. All right, and guess what? How many baskets? These are the big baskets. How many baskets were left over? Twelve baskets. Well, we started with one little thing. Now we have, we don't even know the little boy's name. Twelve baskets left over. Twelve baskets left over. Yeshua says, gather them all up, that, that none, none is wasted. Well, twelve is a significant number. Uh, why twelve baskets? Why twelve baskets? Well, did you notice, it, if I were reading this, okay, verse 11, Yeshua then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he, oh, it doesn't say what he said, what was his prayer? What was, 
what we need to pray. It's a blessing on the bread. We've been doing what he did. 2,000 years later, we're still doing the same thing. Why doesn't it say he blessed the fish? Just the bread. Notice that? Why, why did he give thanks for the fish? Okay. Messianic orientation 1.1. From a Jewish perspective, when you ask the blessing over the bread, it's asking the blessing on the entire meal. Now, you all know that. I was a sad. But it was, they all knew that. This is in a Jewish area. Okay. Next lesson, part two. The feeding of the 4,000. Very similar, different place. This is on the other side, the other way, back toward the kingdom of the Golan. It says he was traveling in the cities of the Decapolis. Those are Roman cities. Those don't have synagogues. They have Roman temples. They're Gentile, pagan cities. What did Yeshua do in a place like that? He was traveling to the ten cities of the Decapolis. Why? Hmm. So, they were hungry. And it, it baffles me that Yeshua then brings this up to his disciples. These people have been here all day. They're really tired and hungry. How are we going to feed them? You would have thought they would have said, well, Lord, why don't you just do what you did last time? They said, well, we, this, you, we can't do it. Come on, wake up. He can do the same thing over and over again. They weren't connecting. So he says, have to sit down. Here we go again. <clears throat> a little bit a, a different number of the bread and the fish. <clears throat> but with the baskets left over, How many were left over? Twelve? See, these are missing in my notes. Seven! <laughs> why seven? We know why twelve. Okay, twelve is a significant number for Israel, for Jewish things. The twelve tribes of Israel is symbolic of the nation of Israel and so on. What's seven in this case? Seven, seven, seven. Well, um, oh, and by the way, I can't read all this because I'm not sure where I am on all this, but when he gave thanks for the bread, well, I'll just tell you. It's there somewhere. I'm sure he's got it. He, he said the blessing over the bread and then over the fish. Why? Why? See, we're going to get in trouble by it. We say, we will always do what Yeshua did. He did stuff different all the time. All these healings are different. No two alike. He healed blind people, but but a different way. Uh, why did he give thanks for the fish as well? He's in a Gentile area. They don't know Jewish traditions. He does not want them to think he's not thankful for fish. So we'll say, it's okay to pray a lot. It's okay to give thanks a lot. So he covered the bases so they, they wouldn't, well, how come you didn't do that? Why seven? Why seven? They were in one of the areas that Joshua invaded. In the Deuteronomy 18, should be up there. Verse 15. The final instructions of God to Moses, when you enter the land, you're going to displace. It's God's judgment was upon these evil nations because of sins we can't talk about in this room. He used Israel to... Ju God uses a nations to judge other nations. God uses nations in history past to judge Israel. You all know that. Dare we say God will use other nations to judge the United States? I'm not going to go there right now. But I'm glad Larry's our president. I'm just glad about that. Well, <clears throat> where they were was not far from where Joshua entered the land. 
And in that verse, Deuteronomy 18, the instructions to Moses were this. You are going to enter the land and displace seven nations, and it lists all seven, and then it says it again, seven nations mightier than you. So what was happening was that they were remembering when they came into the land to go over where the 12 tribes were going to be, the real promised land, they displaced seven Gentile nations. Yeshua was going on a tour of these Gentile cities. It's saying to them, he is the Messiah for everyone, Jew and Gentile, both. He's not just ours, he's yours too. And the message of the book of Acts was to take the word to the nations. And this is a preliminary by his own example. And so when we see part two, it's like, oh, we're to include, then Joel's wait song, Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah, one in the olive tree. The olive tree is the great picture. So here you have the first one and the second one, and the people I don't think can help but ask this question. Uh, okay, who can do this? Who by a word stops the storm, makes things calm? Who can walk on water anyway? Who can do that? Hmm. How many times does that happen? Who can take a couple of pieces of bread and a couple of fish and feed thousands of people you like create? And he did it two times. Who can do that? Who can do that? Okay, I'm going to say the corrupt, the corruption, the political corruption events. For, we know why I have time. Let's do this. Let's do this. Because next, next time I'm here, it's a really important thing we, we, we want to focus it on. Okay, two more events. The cleansing of the temple. All right? Uh, what, we have our first problem. How many of you have been faced with people saying to you, the Bible is full of contradictions? People think that. There's books written about that. They're going to bring them up to you. And this is one of them. And you have, There are answers for all of them. The Bible does not contradict itself. If it's understood from a Jewish perspective, that answers almost all the questions. But, the, but this, is, this, this one's kind of easy. They go, I don't get it. Okay, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have Yeshua cleansing the temple, literally cleaning house, all right? Just, you know, Palm Sunday. He enters Jerusalem for the last time at Passover before he dies. But John has him doing it at the beginning of his ministry. I mean, wasn't John an eyewitness like Matthew? I mean, well, yeah. Well, couldn't they even get that together? Yeah, they did. He did it twice. He cleansed a case like bookends. I'll keep this shorter than I have it here. We have, in this event, part one and part two, it's like bookends. At the beginning of Yeshua's ministry is a bookend. He starts off his first time entering Jerusalem by cleaning house at the temple. He ends his last time entering Jerusalem, cleaning house at the temple, both at Passover. What's the cleaning of the house? Well, I'll go through it quick. Yeshua spoke against political corruption. When people tell us we shouldn't do that, it's usually those who are politically corrupt that don't want us to do it. It's just a matter of telling the, the truth. So what happened? Was he, was he mean? He was turning over tables. The money changers. He was knocking the money on the floor. He turned loose the animals. and He chased out the sheep and the, and the bull. bull. Try chasing a bull sometime. He, he got rid of all that. I mean, he was pushing people around. I mean, isn't that kind of a mean side of him? You know, he made a whip and it was, it was to, to chase the animals. Why is he turning over the tables? The money changers. Well, here's, what was going on? And then he quotes Isaiah. You shall not make my father's house a house of merchandise. It turned into a den of thieves. 
This is to be a, a place of uh, peace and uh, for all nations, nations, Gentiles as well. So here's what was going on. You know, Leviticus is tedious. It, it, it shows you all the intricate details of, of God's standard. Okay, because, uh, what happens with sin? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Leviticus. Very careful what to do. Problem is that to do Torah, you have to do exactly what that says. If you commit a certain sin, there's a certain sacrifice, a certain offering in a certain way, so on and so forth. You're bound by that to do that, or the perception is there is no forgiveness of your sin. Here's the corruption. Because of that, okay, you have this market. When you bring your lamb, it's inspected by certain priests, and guess what? Your lamb doesn't pass. And we just happen to have lambs that have already passed inspection right over here. And they only cost you a hundred times more than yours. And you have to buy one, by the way. The other ones all will fail. Okay, now that's the short version. You got that? The corruptness was that if you brought your prescribed sacrifice, they wouldn't, they wouldn't accept it. Because they wanted you to take theirs that they have, and, and they're making money, lots of money. It's not 4% or 12%. It's like 500%. Okay, they're ripping you off. And, and, and to buy one, you can't use your money. That's the money changers. You have to use temple money. Because if you came from other parts of the world, there's images on those coins. You can't have an image. You, you, no matter what, you have to use temple currency. And to change, you, you've been to places where you change money, there's a commission, right? But it, it's like, like 500% commission. So you have to change money, temple money, and then buy their lamb. It was totally corrupt. The people could not do Torah out of their heart because their lambs should have been accepted. Oh, one more little thing on the politics. Who owned the market? Caiaphas owned the market, the high priest. Boy, he was in the face of Caiaphas. By doing that, that got Caiaphas's attention. How did Caiaphas get his office? Was he a descendant of Aaron? No. Are you aware, this goes back to the times of Hanukkah, that the high priest's office was purchased to the highest bidder. You bought it. Talk about corruption. Yeshua spoke to that kind of corruption, ripping people off in the name of God. Why didn't anybody stop Yeshua? Two times. Why didn't they stop him? I mean, he was in the face of the, the Jewish, of Caiaphas, and, and, and of the Romans, both. So it made more sense that his trial, when both were together against him, they, they didn't like what he said. <clears throat> Why didn't they stop him? Well, we have a hint. Those of you who have been to Israel with Larry get this, this part of the teaching. Um, we have one verse in Luke that tells us Yeshua's earthly occupation. What is it? Carpenter. That's how it's translated into English. However, the word is tecton, and the word is craftsman, and almost always the word is stonemason. Almost the, the people who teach at the Hebrew University say he wasn't a carpenter, he was a stonemason. His arms were that big around. Nobody messes with him. Seriously, why didn't they stop him? I, I think he was 
I think he was Mr. Mr. Universe looking. I'm, I'm dead serious. Why would these burly fishermen follow a namby-pamby person we see in these pictures? In other places. Seriously, look how he's portrayed. Literally, talk to your kids in their classes. Who would follow that? He, he was, you know, Olympic medal winner looking. Nobody messed with him. He's kind of like this. When people would come up to Yeshua and to Peter, let's use Peter. Say, okay, Peter, um, how come you don't follow our rabbi? You know, he, he was educated at the temple, the school of, of Gamaliel, and he's got all these degrees. He's got three PhD degrees. He has five languages. How come you don't follow our rabbi? Peter might say, well, let me ask you this. Does your rabbi heal blind people, raise up lame people, uh, heal deaf people, uh, cast out demons? Uh, does he raise dead people from the grave? Well, no. Well, our rabbi does. That's how come we follow him. And I, and I think physically you had that dynamic that he was a man's man. Or they wouldn't have followed him. They wouldn't have followed him. Well, in conclusion, at that first cleansing of the temple, somebody asked him a question. And it went kind of like this. What, who do you think you are doing this? And he implied, I'm the Messiah. And they said, well, give us a sign. Give us a sign. And I just listed the signs. They're all found in Isaiah, prophesied about what Messiah would do. The blind would see, the lame would walk, the deaf would hear, the lepers are cleansed, demons cast out, the dead live. He feeds thousands of people. What he said was this. I am the bread. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the light. I am the true vine. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the resurrection. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. All authority. I and the Father are one. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, and the last. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Your sins. I'm the great high priest. I am your redeemer. I am your mediator. I am prophet, priest, and king. I am chief rabbi. I am the word that became flesh, and I have been dwelling with you. And I'm coming back. That's what he said. What do you say? What do you say? In Matthew 16, he gathered his disciples together to ask that important question. He started off with the part one of that one. What are people, what are they saying about me? Oh, I say, I'm this, 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 and this. Okay, what do you say about me? Who do you say that I am? Peter got the right answer, but the question is this. Who you say he is determines your eternal destiny. It's a pretty important question to answer. I've just given you a list to give to people if they say, who is he? He backed up his every claim by what he did. And in, in rabbinic thought, there's no other conclusion. Only one. He is who he says he is. He did what he said he did. We have eyewitnesses. He is the Messiah. He is the King. 